Welcome to this edition of the SA Crypto Podcast, guys. And today we have COO of Ice Cubed, uh, newly appointed COO of Ice Cubed Exchange, one of the oldest and longest running exchanges of crypto assets in South Africa. Eugene Etzebeth, former technologist at the South African Reserve Bank. He's uh, been an influencer in the crypto asset and blockchain space for a very long time. Eugene, it's a privilege to have you back on the podcast. Thanks. It's great to chat, James. Now, you've been COO for three months, I believe. Is that correct? Yes, I'm going into my fourth. So I'm really starting to understand the business and uh, drive it forward. And how is it different to what you're used to? I mean, you've been with a payment processing company after you left the Reserve Bank. You were obviously at the Reserve Bank. How is this different to what you're used to in the fintech industry? This is fundamentally different. When I was at the Reserve Bank, a lot of the work I was doing is from a very macro point of view, working on systems like the RTGS system, which is a settlement system. But And then I moved to a very intense human-driven team where I was managing you know, over 50 people. And so now I've moved to a situation where it's a smaller global team and working remotely, sort of managing certain tasks remotely. But what I do thoroughly enjoy about it is that I'm in crypto and that's where the long game was and I, where I wanted to work myself to. So I'm actually in my perfect business environment and I'm loving it, yes. Now, the South African Reserve Bank has obviously just released their intergovernmental fintech working group consulting paper on crypto assets. Were you part of that working group that the Reserve Bank had put together? Yes. Yeah, so um, as an exchange, we, we were invited to the initial discussions in the middle of last year. And then there was quite a big meeting in November in Pretoria where they wanted to go over the the policy paper just for some comments and a full day of discussion. And it actually worked very well. The regulators open-minded and discussed our issues and discussed the paper. So that that put forward a very good policy proposal paper. And that's actually what we're starting to see now in the general domain. And people can make comments. We are very happy with the engagement that the regulators had they need to start opening it up to the broader community. And that's what they've started to do. And your perspective from an ideological point of view, I mean, I know the chats that we've had, you have a wonderful ideology on what distributed ledger and blockchain technology can bring to society. Does being part of an exchange now, not wanting to infringe on the work of what you're doing, affect maybe how much you can say from that ideological point of view? No, from our exchange, we very we believe in having strong ethics and self-regulating and protecting our customers. So we think there's going to be a world where fiat will exist until the indefinite future and crypto will exist. So where the twain meet is an exchange. So we're very excited to, to be part and parcel of the regulation to get, we're already doing a lot of, we're doing all the requirements from FIC perspective. And so we're very excited to see the formalization of, of the industry. And we understand that it's, it's a slow process and that we, everyone has to be taken along. We look forward to this. So I don't, there's no ideological conflict. I think the choice just will become 
to people whether they will hold more fiat or more crypto. And that I'm all for that choice. One of the points that was in the consulting paper was that exact one about people moving away from fiat towards crypto, which they actually stated in the paper poses a risk in, in one of their outlines of the various risks of crypto assets. That was seen as the, one of the Reserve Bank's risks, which is that it could, in a way, destabilize the central banks. What do you make of that? Is that, I'm just finding the point here, it's 0.4, 0.2, 0.2 on the consulting paper. People moving to store their value in crypto assets over traditional fiat deposits threatens the well-being of the central banks and in turn could negatively impact the economy. So the Reserve Bank doesn't recommend crypto assets become legal tender for that reason, to try and prevent an overwhelming movement away from the reserves of fiat that the central banks hold. What's your comment on that? When I was working at the Reserve Bank, we had a lot of emphasis on five strategic pillars. The one I want to mention is that we're to keep inflation in the 3 to 6% band. So that's in line with the overall objective of the central bank for financial stability. So you can also look at that another way. So the RAND will be devalued by 3 to 6% a year. And that's the yeah. state of objective. Right. So, Sorry, so, so just to jump in yeah. there. So from your experience at the Reserve Bank, they want to keep it at a cap of 3 to 6% inflation rate. But that means they are, in a way, they're also agreeing with the fact they're stating, hey, our RAND is going to devalue by 3 to 6% every year. So this, as a side note, before we continue with this point, your thoughts on that from an economic perspective? Yeah, well, and that's why I'm, I'm mentioning it. I think that's what it's competing, uh, fiat and crypto. That'll be one of the main issues that and has been since the start, is the money supply and decisions of committees versus decisions of, of a decentralized network. So from a, I think when, when the halving happens, I think now, what, 2009, next year, our, the Bitcoin network, primarily, the inflation is going to now be, I don't know the exact figure, but it's going to be reduced significantly. So below 3% if I remember. So the inflation, how much new Bitcoin gets generated into circulation will now decrease. So it's becoming more deflationary. And as it grows, it becomes more and more deflationary until yeah. 2040. So this is, I'd say it's a competitive, if you have a list of pros and cons and you want to hold currency in a, or some value in a wallet in the future, you're going to have to make a decision of how much you want to keep of, of one and how much of the other and what, what it can be used for. And I think that, I don't know where that will go, but it is moving in a direction where you'll, you'll have more options to use crypto, whether it's to hold it or it's to exchange it for value. And do you see eventually down the line the Reserve Bank? I mean, at the moment, my, my view is that the Reserve Bank are being progressive in their approach. And we can be thankful for that. But judging by that point, 4.2.2 on the paper, if that's one of their concerns, and the more people that, that take on what you've just proposed, which is holding a deflationary currency like Bitcoin, that's only going to grow as more and more people see the value in investing and holding a deflationary currency. 
as opposed to an inflationary currency. Do you think that the Reserve Bank could change their stance towards crypto assets because of because of, of the growing awareness and keenness to invest in a deflationary crypto asset like Bitcoin? Yes, let me take a step back. And I think with a lot of people in, in today's age, they believe everything they're born into is how it is. So, and as a, someone who's mild, who's interested in history and that central banks, by and large, have only 100 years old. The Bank of England's older or the, uh, the Swedish central bank. But so people must ask, what happened before? What happened? Life went on. And so it will change. So I'm not saying there will be a wholesale exodus into crypto and that central banks will shut. I, you know, I think that's not going to happen. But there is going to be disruption and there's going to be change. I'm sure the department, I don't know what department is, but for communication and the department that was responsible for monitoring the internet. They might not have wanted certain things, but societal changes have made it that they have to accept it. One of my favorite stories was in the 80s where the U.S. Postal Service made it law that you would have to send all your faxes to a central point. And then the post office, the U.S. Postal Service would unsend that for a fee. What they wanted, but that's not what happened. So, and I think we're going to see a few of those dilemmas popping up, but I'm not going to preempt them. They will happen when they happen. And just final comments from you. I know you did give us a comment on the article, Eugene, but you've worked with the working group. You've consulted with them for a day. You've got relationships at the Reserve Bank. Final comments from you on this consulting paper? Yes, I believe it's very progressive. They they've taken an incredible amount of knowledge and work that they've been building up and stockpiling for the last two, three years. They've used their academia and their insights into how businesses work and how institutions work. And they've come up with their functional approach. And I believe this is this is the best to be in lockstep with, with the industry. So we're very happy with the way it's going. Obviously, we'd also like it to go faster, but for now, we're happy to move with the regulators and manage these changes. Do South Africans have any reason to fear a clampdown on crypto assets? So just you break up a bit there to fear them? Do South Africans have any reasons to fear the clampdown on crypto assets or a clampdown on crypto assets in the next decade? My feeling at the moment is the only clampdown would be in the same in the same sort of framework that we operate in now, and that's exchange control. That's that we're in a we're on a tax cliff perspective, where what is going to be the next step with regards to tax or taxation on these? You know, although it's already defined now, we just got to monitor that. So I think we in South Africa we won't shoot ourselves in a foot with new technology and new innovation, and I think we, we're almost a beacon to a lot of other countries in sub-Saharan Africa, and we need to be seen to do the right thing. Okay, so Eugene, you mentioned decentralized technology and decentralized computing in your answer earlier. Let's talk about decentralized exchanges. A lot of people calling them DEXs, standing for a decentralized exchange. You guys at IceCubed 
are obviously very aware of, of the exchange industry, which is a huge industry at the moment. So many exchanges popping up around the world. You guys have been around for a very long time. What is your thoughts on uh, a decentralized exchange? Is a properly working decentralized exchange even possible? I'm sure it's possible eventually, but I was having this debate with our CEO last week, Gareth Krobler, and he, and I'm still getting my mind around it because, you know, when you look at sort of the large scale players like Coinbase and Binance, so, so they're working very hard on building uh, DEXs for the future. And I almost see, you know, from, for instance, they're doing a lot of arbitrage, jurisdictional arbitrage, moving they moved from China very rapidly to Japan and then chased the way to Malta, but then they just didn't leave it in Malta. Now the world, I think they've signed in, in Liechtenstein. They've got, and they're trying to, so they, they've got a, a wide footprint. So for them. So who's you know, that? Sorry, you broke up for a second. Okay, so Binance are doing a lot of jurisdictional arbitrage. Is that why we're seeing them open an office in Malta, then an office in Jersey, et cetera. So that's really just taking advantage of the, of the ease of regulation in those countries, right? Yes. And then you almost, you'd think for them, the logical step would say, well, if we can move something out of the, the hands of geopolitical or jurisdiction, that that would be a good thing. So that's how I thought about it. Right. After just a debate or chat with my C our CEO, you know, he was saying that he doesn't see a use case for this. Already, for instance, on our exchange, we encourage users to hold their own private keys and even coming out with a non-custodial wallet in the next few months, which, which will make it easier for users to do it before the even more prominent services, custodial services. So we, we encourage, so right now you can hold your own you can hold your own keys. And then why would you want to operate on a DEX? You can hold your own keys and then you still need to get from a crypto pairing, sorry, crypto to fiat pairing. Yeah. Then you need to go through what is likely to be a regulated exchange if you want to get into the fiat world. So that's, and that's where we're playing it. So we're in the, we are crypto to fiat exchange and we have solid relationships with our bank and banks. And the ability for you to hold your keys in a private capacity, that is almost what is a DEX trying to achieve that can compete against that? Is it just that you're trying to do crypto to crypto exchange? And, and you could do that, you could do that on a on sort of a Amazon web service or sorry, a hosted site anyway. You yeah. could do a crypto to crypto and that would just be a service that's offered that isn't that isn't um that isn't can't be shut down or could move very rapidly sure. but it's just a service that you provide so i i must admit it it is a i'm not closing the door completely on my thoughts around dex but i think from those discussions i'm just getting more aware of of how we perceive dexes but we we're not moving into a dex space we don't fundamentally and philosophically, we believe we're doing the right thing. We're in South Africa and we operate our business in South Africa according to the, the policies and the regulations. Right. Now, you guys have a whole bunch of new products on the roadmap. Let's talk about what we can expect from Ice Cubed in the next couple of months in 2019. 
Let's talk about that non-custodial wallet. That's quite unique for exchanges. Yeah, what we're going to do is we, we're going to create something called Icebox, which allows it very easily for a user to store there, to move pretty much a fully secure cold storage wallet. And they, they essentially will be able to control their own private keys in the offline. So I think that's going to be uh, very exciting, and we, we're quite far on the development path with that. So we should see that in a few uh, in a few months' time. And th- I said, that's, that's just one. We want to make it easier for users to take the keys off our exchange, and, and that will be one way for them to do it. So it's going to be called Icebox. So we're very, it's almost like an edge wallet, and we'll give more information on our, as it comes along. But it, it's a great choice for our users. And will there still be the option? So you say it's a choice. So there's obviously still going to be the option for users to keep their crypto on your servers, for instance, and hosted by you. Will there be, I'd assume that's still going to be there. Would there be an additional service fee charged for that? You guys would then, in essence, become a central bank, which is holding users' deposits. I think, from my perspective, a lot of users, they don't even understand the idea of holding their own private keys. As we see more and more widespread adoption, we're probably going to see more and more average Joe users going, well, I don't understand the private key thing. I just want the exchange to hold it for me. Will there be a different fee structure for that? So right now, we don't believe there's going to be a fee structure on that. It is very novel. So we, we're trying to give our best services to our customers. And this would be something, my understanding, would, that, that would be uh, no charge on that service. I think we just want to give our users, our three tenets at us cubed are that we want to know our customers, we want to educate our customers, and we want to reward our customers. So this is part of educating the customers, and not everyone will do it initially, but it's also about giving options and control to the user, and it's in line with our philosophy. Now, you've got a whole bunch of other stuff coming up in the next couple of months. You guys are obviously quite seriously busy. What are some of the highlights for you that users can expect? We started the year off with a bang, and we we brought in our uh, Android app, so you can trade using our Android app, and that's, we're excited about that, and that's, that's fully live. We believe we're going to be uh, quite cutting edge. We're going to bring something, an auto trader, coming probably in early spring. Wow. South of spring. And that has almost two parts to it. The one is that it's going to allow our users to be able to create their own trading strategies and running their own trading bots, but in an easy-to-use configurable interface. So that gives people who aren't knowledgeable about integrations or interfaces or code the ability to to create trading strategies. That one is going to be a differentiator in the market. And along with that is we're going to open up other markets. So whether it be Binance or others, where they'll be able to trade on those platforms but through Askubed. Wow. And that will open up a big portal or possibilities for traders. So we believe with those two auto trading features that we'll attract a lot more of the middle to upper trader type people and help them to educate them on how to use those tools. So this auto trader is coming out in spring, you say? Yeah. Will it be fully operational? Will it be in beta testing? No. So I use the word spring 
because it, it just covers a few months. But I think we'd initially do it probably for our high-level customers for a week or two and have it go live in spring. So we, we also, we've also got something else exciting that's coming, and we, we call it InstaMiner. So InstaMiner, like instant mining. Right. And that's, that's where it's, we almost provide, we'll provide an option where you can buy one of three mining contracts. And this will happen regularly, and many of them can occur. And then you buy a contract, and then within a, a short space of time, a matter of, of minutes, the, you'll see which, which mining contract would be rewarded. And that would be rewarded on a two-to-one scale. So it, it's almost, it drives customer engagement on our site, but also allows them to, people who are trading, to have another option to buy into a mining contract and then be rewarded at a higher probability than, than a normal mining contract. So explain that. You guys going to be running the miners yourself? Will they be ASIC miners? Will they be GPUs? Will they be hosted in South Africa? Will they be hosted outside of South Africa? What, what's the structure of the mining contracts? Because obviously, we obviously trust IceCube, we trust you, but the industry is littered with kind of very cleverly structured schemes which aren't really mining at all so what's your infrastructure like to provide the mining service for clients yeah so this would be more like a game so and we'd in the the spirit of a blockchain businesses and that we'd make we'd make that fully transparent okay so it's going to be like a game will people but will still will it act as a normal contract though they put in 10,000 20,000 rand and it'll give them a monthly return on their investment? Yeah, so it, it would be a once-off contract. Right. And it would be, my understanding at the moment, because we are, the concept is in various stages of experimentation, is that it would be a short-term once-off uh, contract. And essentially, it's a game. Okay. We believe that this would be an exciting option for, for traders want to have an alternative engagement on our site. So, but being a game, it's still real crypto, real money changing hands, eh? Yes, real money changing hands. Mm, okay. All right. So a lot coming up for IceCubed. I believe you have some giveaways. Is that just for SA Crypto or is that for IceCubed clients? Yeah, so we have a, we spend a lot of time on our marketing and our social media. And so one of the things we were doing over the Christmas period was raising our YouTube profile with our customers. And we had a, a unique incentive for our users to engage with us. So yeah, that, those sort of media strategies, we're doing them on an ongoing basis. Our biggest one now is what I talked about. We like to know our customers, educate our customers, and reward our customers. The rewarding is we have two big opportunities there. That's with our affiliate links, where you can send an affiliate link to a friend and you will get a portion of their trading fees. And then also we have a voucher system where you can give a very easily a very small percentage of crypto to a friend or a colleague to get them to understand it or your grandmother or mother to get them to start using an account. So I, th I think that's where we're focusing on and just driving, having, having a good conversation with our, our users and creating a relationship with them. All right, let's go back to the current space of crypto at the moment, Eugene. There's 
there's a lot of developments, a lot of people been talking about the Constantinople fork of Ethereum. One of the ETFs, I think it was the Winklevoss Twins ETFs, they actually withdrew their ETF just this week. There's been a lot happening. Obviously, there's the backed ETF as well. What's your comment on what's happening at the moment? What do you foresee this year in crypto 2019? Well, if the US government carries on stalemate, then I think what I do know is, for instance, the New York Stock Exchange backed company, they're struggling to launch because of the state of the US government. So I'd, I'd like to see that come online because it, it allows more consistent price discovery in this market and certainty for institutions. So I, I think for me, I'm, I'm staying very focused on driving our business and in our environment. So I've sort of left all the discussions about what's happening at Ethereum and that to others. But I would say this, that if the U.S. government can get back on track, because that also was part of the reason why the ETF was application was removed, because of the, the stalling on that. Yeah, the, the government I, shutdown, yeah. And I would say when the government comes back up, although apparently a lot of people haven't noticed that they shut down, is that the New York Stock Exchange, that's very big for me, with their launch of BACT, that'll come up and running, and there'll be some, a host of new ETF applications on the back of that. And I know in South Africa, we're going to get clearer regulation. And I think once that happens, you're going to start seeing some bigger players, not only putting their toe in, jumping in to the crypto space, because there's going to be more clarity now. I mean, we, so I would say that, and I've, I've mentioned it, that 2019 will be a watershed year in South Africa, especially, and in the global context, because this is the year where We've been building now in the bear market. There's regulation, more certainties coming in. We're getting the culmination of established institutions who will be doing real crypto business. So I'm very excited. I think it's almost the stage where people say, oh, Bitcoin, it's now popular again. But I think it's here to, they'll start to say, yes, this thing just doesn't seem to die. So that for me is almost the most important. So people start saying, What's the difference between a fad and a trend? People will say, this isn't a fad anymore. This is a trend. And, you know, for people like us or, and your listeners, we trailblazers, we forget. We're on the pioneering end. And it, there's a lot of convincing and a lot of repetition that needs to happen for people to see the future. And I think this is where we're at, that people will start to say, this is here to stay now. What are your thoughts on MasterCard bringing out a patent. I don't know if you saw this news in October last year. MasterCard announced, or it was leaked to the press, that MasterCard were exploring a patent for fractional reserve cryptocurrencies, which is pretty ironic considering the ideological foundation upon which cryptocurrencies are built. Your thoughts on that? If cryptocurrency, I mean, even Bitcoin, if if exchanges Payment processes like MasterCard had to fra- hold a fractional reserve of the crypto asset for public, the public to go out and use these cryptocurrencies as payment. But what they're actually paying is, in essence, another fiat version of cryptocurrency. I don't know if you saw that story, and if so, what would your thoughts on an approach like that be? Yeah, so I think what people should just apply their mind to is that credit card companies also want a cashless society hmm. because that's their business right they also 
very dominant players in this space. And when I mean, I mean, they are huge. So they're, they're almost, a lot of them are in the monopoly status or duopoly status. And they've got a lot of leverage now to play around with staying in the fiat world, staying in the crypto world. What are the opportunities for them? And I, I must admit, I think it's great that they're thinking, there's an element of them that are thinking about unique propositions that can be offered. I mean, it's not unique. We've seen a lot of ICOs or that all offering credit cards and a way for you to spend crypto. I think there's one of them is crypto.com and they offer cards. And I think good luck to them. It's a great, it's a great middle road for you where people who, who don't fully understand how to operate a wallet on it, who can, who can have access to a credit card. And then they, they potentially want to become the banks of the future. And I think that play is something to watch. And, and the fractional reserve side of it, what would your comment be? Is the deflationary nature of uh, Bitcoin still possible should some payment processor adopt a fractional reserve toward Bitcoin? Or does that throw the whole thing in disarray? I mean, you would know more than me with your understanding of monetary history. Yeah, so fractional reserve is in a way a relationship with the banks where they are allowed to unlend money that they have, and they essentially can create more than 90% of new money. So if you put 10 rand in, they can create almost 90 rand of money by uh, lending out money and then putting it back into deposits and then relending it to someone else. So they're creating money out of their credit cycle. So I don't know the ins and outs of it from a MasterCard perspective, but you are then moving into a banking licensed domain. And the relationship between the central bank and a bank is a very important one. I mean, the, the bank is, is being kept essentially in a close relationship with the central bank in order to satisfy to, to be able to serve service the community, the broader community. And the central bank doesn't do that. So I don't know quite how MasterCard would play that, but you know, for them to get a banking license and all that, that would have to be quite well thought out by the each central bank in the country that they're operating. So it's something, I think anyone who has a, a banking license can create money if you hold deposits. So I think they would need to hold deposits and they would just on lend that to somebody else. But if they had to be hacked or something had to happen to their system, then who's, you know, who would bail them out? Because now you're going back to a system where, where crypto is trying to get rid of that sort of fractional reserve, where there's who's going to bail out MasterCard if something goes wrong or there's a run on their systems. Yeah, ah, interesting. All right, well, Eugene, thanks so much for taking the time to chat to us. It's an exciting year for you guys. 2019 is your first full year in the seat of COO at IceCubed. Just give us a final, final comment on IceCubed. What's the big vision for you guys? Yeah, so we very firmly an exchange, a fiat to crypto exchange only. Okay. So we, a lot of our competitors are actually custodial wallet providers and also incorporate payment processing. So we believe... Their payment processing is a commoditized space where it's only a few lines of code and you become a, a payment processor. So that's going to get ultra competitive. Then also from a custodial wallet, that has a lot of 
it's a very onerous and competitive place because you, every time there's a fork or there's a new coin, you would have to now make sure that you are fully compliant and also running all the blockchains for those associated coins. And you have to keep tabs of any, of any forks and honor your customers' value. So we're not playing in that space. We are an exchange only. And we're in South Africa as our primary market. We have a Nigerian leg to our business, but we're very excited about helping South Africans and the rest of Africa hold or be able to get hold of uh, crypto assets and then to take them off onto a wallet of their choice. And we'll do that in a competitive, ethical, and open manner where we won't have our own trading book. We don't have our own trading book. And we are, we believe we'll be one of the few exchanges in South Africa operating in the next few years. Wow. Just to want to put this as nicely as possible, but a lot of our, a lot of our users do, do quickly pipe up when Ice Cubed gets, gets mentioned. And the one challenge that users have and, and our audience has is, is the liquidity on the exchange. Do you aim on improving that? And if so, what's the easiest way for IceCube to improve the liquidity on the exchange? Yeah, so we, we're in constant discussions with other players in the industry trying to get established, for instance, brokers to offer our crypto services. And I think this will be an interesting year because as there's more on on the regulation that we can start opening up to sort of broker type businesses, right. which would allow a lot more customers onto our platform. So we also, what we don't like to do is we're averse to manipulating our order books and to show, to show with our own order, with our own trading account. So our volumes, I think the main thing is that we're onboarding a lot of customers at the moment. We've upped our social media strategy. So we've got a lot of people coming in. And as the market starts ultimately turning into one that where more people want to get hold of crypto assets, I think we, we're in a, in a good space now. We are on a growth path to allowing more people to easily access our platforms and to have uh, put more fiat and more crypto onto the platform. I think some of the things are just creating relationships with other entities. For instance, some of our competitors just offer essentially an affiliate link to a major site. We're rolling out fundamental South African context-based features to engage our customers. And so we believe that we will, because of our principles, that we will get some of the other volume coming from some of those other exchanges. It's not a quick fix. We don't believe, we believe we're showing our maturity and our ethics and our principles that we will we will gather more liquidity as people move to a place of trust. Well, Eugene, we wish you all the best. I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more news coming out of Ice Cubed. The the trading bot alone, your own auto trader, this new Instamana game, a lot of features which are quite exciting in the in the industry for South Africa. So we're excited to see that rollout. Thanks for your time and good luck. We wish you well. Thanks. I appreciate the talk and. I look out to seeing you guys from SA Crypto around and keep up the good work. Absolutely, man. Thanks so much, Eugene. We'll have all the links to your Twitter and LinkedIn. Where are you most active, by the way, if at all, on social? 
I'd say Twitter and LinkedIn is where I'm most active. All right, we'll put some links out. Eugene, thanks again. Hopefully we'll chat to you soon. Take care. Thanks. Bye, James. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Bye.